Okay. All right. We're good. All right. Sorry. Continue, uh, Dr. Jones. So there are now people who come in. They're Jews who convert. Okay. And yep. they come into the Catholic Church, and the water, the water of baptism hasn't dried on their foreheads yet, and they're denouncing fellow Catholics as anti-Semites. <laughs> this, yeah, this is sure. outrageous. It's an outrageous violation of, uh, first of all, the Eighth Commandment of slandering people, because it's nothing but slander. There's no, there's no content to that statement. But it's also a violation of the unity of the church. So this, uh, I'll, I'll, it's Rebecca, Rebecca, uh, is it Rebecca Bratton Weiss, uh, Dawn Goldstein, these young Jewish ladies, they come on and they're the, at the drop of the hat, they'll condemn you as an anti-Semite and they'll say anybody who listens to them, it's just direct quote, Nazi scum. This is not charitable speech. This is not something that Christians should be saying and certainly not to each other. So I'm saying that trying to contextualize this, yes, it's baptism. Yes, you rejected the rejection. It's not magic, though. It's not magic, and it doesn't change. If you've got bad habits, you're going to have to work on your bad habits. And one of the worst habits that Jews have is calling anybody they don't like an anti-Semite. So if you become a Christian, you don't do that anymore. Do you, Dr. Jones, do you think it's possible to uh, false conversion, convert to subvert? Yes. Now, I, I want to add something to this because you raise a very important point here, Dr. Jones, and that is uh, namely the development of the Jewish identity over the ages. And I noticed you spoke purely in theological terms. And don't get me wrong, everything you said I completely agree, agree with. But what I, what I want to add to that is that I believe that after, that, after the Jews rejected Christ, um, the ones that actually did, um, the Jewish identity developed further and started to mutate into the temporal realm even more than it already had. And um, this meant that Jewish identity developed and evolved to become a temporal identity in the same way that, let, that we would say German identity or uh, Russian identity or Chinese identity or Japanese identity did as well. Um, and having said that, I believe that if a Jew converts uh, you know, from Judaism, uh, because he's not just converting from a religion. He's also he also carries a national identity as a Jew. And so the example I would give is if a Protestant German converts to Catholicism and moves to Poland. Yes, he's a Catholic, but he doesn't become a Pole. He still he still remains a German Catholic. He has to do more than just convert to Catholicism to become a Pole. Conversion. Right. And what no. does he have to do? What is the sine qua non of becoming a Pole? What is the most important thing you have to do to become a Pole? Well, you would have to learn Polish first. Absolutely, of all. absolutely. <laughs> this is this is logos. This is I, I'm saying this because I was in exactly the same situation in Germany. I go over there. I'm I'm an American. I have this particular identity. In order for me to get uh, along as a German, I have to learn German. Uh, lots of Germans speak English. It's even worse now. You can hardly speak to a German. You have to arm wrestle with the guy to get him to speak German. Okay? But uh, you have to speak the language. And that is the, because your identity is bound up with Logos. So that's Correct. what I'm saying here. This is crucial. So, so, so the point I was trying to make was that when a Jew converts to Christianity, uh, that's sufficient for him to become a Christian. You know, baptism might be sufficient. But again, 
how will he actually become an American? You know, how will he, well, he has to become loyal to America. And as you've already pointed out, I, I believe it, you said that it takes about two to three generations for one nation, uh, a minority national to uh, assimilate into the majority host nation that he's in. So uh, the Jews also being a temporal national people would have to do more than just convert their religion. They would actually have to assimilate as one national to another nation. So how does a Jew become well, an American? Well, they've already done that. They're all they're all mm -hmm. Russians. Mm -hmm. let, 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 let's put it this way: that ninety percent of the Jews in this world uh, lived in the what was the eastern part of Poland, and then became the western part of Russia, and that was known as the Pale of the Settlement. So they spoke they, to the extent that the, sometimes they did. They spoke Yiddish when they lived there, but to, to the extent that they assimilated, which was not a great great extent in either case. There was not a great deal of assimilation here. Uh, they spoke Russian or they spoke Polish. Well, they come over here and you've got to learn American. And that's where that the theory that you mentioned, America, you have to learn English. And that's the theory here is that I use is this triple melting pot. So yeah, you, come over, you come over here and uh, after three generations, you no longer speak the language, which is the crucial part of your identity. Uh, but you do retain the religion, according to that, and so your identity becomes your religion, and so the triple melting pot is you become Americans as a Protestant, a Catholic, or a Jew. They become the three groups. And the, the, the way I learned this, the, what, what really uh, made, brought it home to me, was the, doing the book on Yugoslavia and looking into Yugoslavian history, where you have pretty much exactly the same thing, except the three groups are Serb, Croat, and Muslim. But you've got three groups of people based on religion, uh, also giving them their uh, ethnic identity. Right. Yeah. And would you agree with the statement that ethnos equals logos plus pathos plus ethos? Ethnos needs logos. Right. Of course. Ethnos, ethnos is based on logos. Okay, because if you go to a country, any of these countries in Africa, which were created in Berlin in 1880 something, uh, the uh, uh, they are all uh, made up. Uh, Tanzania has 76 different ethnic groups, and the only distinguishing characteristic is the language. They all look exact. I, I mean, I don't. Maybe they don't. Not all Africans <laughs> look the same. Some of them, you know, like the Sudan, they seem to be darker, and Ethiopia, they seem to have some type of Indian characteristic. But in Tanzania, they all look the same to me. It all looks pretty much uh, yeah, the same. They're all black, but they speak different languages. That's the basis for ethnic identity. It's the language you learn from your mother. So somebody brought this up to me in the chat, said that you mentioned that the reason why there's such a difference between uh, Europeans, uh, pre-World War II, obviously, Europeans, the people that built Europe, and Africa was because the Europeans had a head start on Christianity and Catholicism. Is that what you said? Yes. I said I just gave a keynote address to a, a university in Nairobi, and I talked about uh, the uh, uh, when I was in Tanzania, I got this brochure of a coffee coffee production coffee uh, sharing. Uh, program between the Diocese of Würzburg and the Diocese of Mbinga in Tanzania. And so you open the brochure and it says Diocese of Mbinga founded 1987. And then you look across the facing page, Diocese of Würzburg founded 730. That's a long time ago. 
And so I said to them, I said, the main problem we have in Africa is the Africans has, have never learned the ability to mobilize labor. They still don't know it. And uh, the, the, the main thing I said holding back the mobilization of labor in Africa was polygamy. Because basically you had a number of wives so that all your children could work on the farm. And so I gave this example of um, Julius Nerera, the first president of Tanzania, was uh, his mother was one of 17 wives. Uh, his brother had eight wives. He said to his brother, why do you have so many wives? And he said, uh, the brother said, uh, I need him to work on the farm. And then Nereri said, buy a tractor. And that in a nutshell <laughs> is the whole screwed up story of Africa during this period of time, <laughs> where you, you think you can go from um, uh, polygamy uh, to uh, Soviet-style agriculture in one generation, all you have to do is buy tractors. It was a disaster, complete disaster. But I'm saying, the point I'm trying to make here is that uh, if you can imagine, uh, let's say the Benedictine monks who arrived uh, of down the Danube, if you can imagine them pulling out, let's say, pulling out of uh, the Germanic-speaking world in 780, that's what happened in Africa. That's exactly what happened in Africa. So you had, when I wrote the biography of Nerera, it was the Marinol priest who showed up there basically after World War II. And then they are all Americans. They all have mechanical skills they don't even know. They built infrastructure, they built pumps, and so on and so forth. And then Julius Nerera has got this crazy idea called Ujamaa socialism, African socialism. Some priest over there, Polish priest told me, there's, there's only one thing worse than socialism, and that is African socialism. And the only thing worse than African socialism is Ujamaa socialism, which basically created, you had this infrastructure that the, uh, the Marino priest built a pump in the Ujamaa village of Kamuga. Okay, the pump is working, they irrigate, they're growing oranges, and then Julius Nerera says, we don't need you anymore. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. So they left. And as soon as they left, the pump broke and the pump has been broken to this day. That, that's the story. That's the story of East Africa. So the difference is what's the difference? It's a thousand years of Christianity. What was the motto of the Benedictine monks? It was aura et labora, work and pray. And the Germans learned how to work. Believe so, me, they so know how you, to work. So you don't believe that it has anything to do work scientifically you think? You think that it has it's totally spiritual and has nothing to do with physical if it weren't physical if it weren't for Christianity differences. If it weren't what do you mean by scientific? I mean if I'm not talking for, about pseudo I'm not talking about pseudoscientific. I'm talking about real science that we yes, are if you're asking me are there is there a difference between Germans and Tanzanians? I just said there was. There is a different. There's a definite difference. But but you're and saying the, that it was because of the spirit realm, right? The the absolutely. Catholicism. It's it's one thousand years of Christianity. That's exactly the difference. Christian. If it weren't for Christian, if it weren't for Catholicism, my German ancestors would still be chasing pigs through the forest. Uh, I, I would I would like to add to that. I mean, uh, Dr. Jones does raise a good point. I mean, Ethiopia is a good example. The Kingdom of, Ethi of Ethiopia has had Christianity for 800 years and was significantly more developed than the rest of Africa. So, that that is, uh, Dr. Jones, maybe you can elaborate on that. 
I, I think I, I feel as if I said pretty yeah, much yeah, all I that I have said. to say at this point. Right. I mean, basically, yes. Uh, my what what did what did Germans do? Did they have a high civilization? Look, I lived the where I taught. I was on the Rhine, and I was on the German side of the Rhine, and the other side of the Rhine was the Roman side of the Rhine. And so you, where I lived, they were barbarians, and they lived in huts. And you cross over the Rhine, and you go to a town like Xanten, which was only about 20 kilometers away, and they had a Roman fortress, and they had hot and cold running water. Well, that's the they were they were civilized. This was Roman civilization. The Roman civilization collapsed, and it was taken over by the Catholic Church. And it became the Holy Roman Empire. And that was the vehicle of civilization. It was the vehicle of Logos in the world. And because, look, because of Christianity, they developed a civilization that had never developed anyplace else in the world. I'm doing, I'm doing a book right now on aesthetics, on beauty. And the first part is on art, painting. Now, you explained to me that extraordinary development in Italy from, let's say, the time of Giotto, uh, the 14th century, up to whatever you want, Michelangelo. That was an extraordinary development. No one in the world had ever done that before, and it could not have happened without Christianity. It is absolutely impossible, and I could go into detail about that, but I would prefer that you read my book, okay? <laughs> because it, it's it's complicated but it's true and the same thing so the next part is on music the same thing happened italy was the leader of the world in all forms of culture and then it became music and then the germans developed this extraordinary period of music the why do you think do you think it's coincidental that bach was a christian do you think that's coincidental when you look into that man's life that, that man was a saint that man was a saint because he was uh, persecuted his entire life. He suffered his entire life, and he still came up with some of those beautiful music in the world. Now, only someone who has a spiritual motivation for his life can put up with that type of stuff and do that kind of stuff. But you combine a whole civilization now that is all working according not only to the same plan, but the right plan and the ultimate right plan, which is known as Logos, and that's what happens. That's what happens. And if it's other places in the world, it just doesn't develop. It just doesn't happen. So, so like India, what so, happened there? I, yeah, so Florida, Florida King is, is saying bring up IQ. And I think I already, I kind of brought that up. And you're saying that IQ has to do with, with, the, uh, with Christianity. Christianity is what? No, I'm not. I, I, no? no, I didn't say it has nothing to do with Christianity has nothing to do with intelligence either. So, I mean, why the, the only time IQ is ever brought up is in some type of uh, setting where you want to justify racial superiority. It's the only time it's ever justified. If you take a black child and have him raised in Germany uh, by an intact family, he will have a high IQ if that's if that's the main measure that you're looking for. All of the all of the parameters they have nothing to do they have nothing to do with race. Race is an imaginary construct here. Uh, okay. All right. Bill, little do you know, uh, Bill Carlson, we brought you here because we were going to get you to convert to Catholicism today. 
It's the best thing that could ever happen. We're going to baptize you. Every, 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 I mean, very, or on a regular basis, I get emails from people who say, I took your advice. I became, I joined, I got baptized. I'm a member of the Catholic Church and my life has turned around. I'm married now. I have a child. Before I was some wanker in my mother's basement. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> so these guys, so guys like Roger Stone, Milo, you believe that they are true converts. I know you're. Look, I let's let's I, I let's talk about Milo now, okay? Milo is a Catholic. There's no question about it. Milo's got a problem. It's known as homosexuality. It's a very bad habit. It's a really bad habit, okay? And so he's struggling with the ha that bad habit. That's good. That's good. It's good that you're struggling with it. And the main problem, the main mistake you can make, is to identify with your sin. Because sin is non-being. And so basically you're putting yourself out of existence by doing that. So you could do it and say, look, I'm a drunk. I'm happy every day when I get up and throw up on my shoes and make an, a, a, an obnoxious fool out of myself. Well, people don't do that because they recognize that that's, or it's just, it, just, it used to make, they used to have it in movies. Look at movies in the 40s and it's kind of funny to look at drunks. Nobody thinks that way anymore. But homosexuality is a is a sin. It's a it's a problem that has now been anointed by the oligarchs as an identity group. And so to give Milo his credit, he's broken with that now. He was he was kind of like the 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 uh, homosexual for Trump. That's how he got famous in 2016. Yep. OK, that's. He's broken with that. I'm glad. God, God bless you, Milo. I hope you do that. But there's a there's an underlying problem here, and the underlying problem is narcissism, because homosexuals are narcissists. It's it's a personality disorder, and as a narcissist, you have to be the center of the universe. And now it turns out that Milo has now become the center of the universe again, talking about yep. how he's kicked kicked the habit. Yep. Okay. So let, let's be realistic here. Let's be. Let's go to the church fathers. What do they say about sin? Sin is like an arrow. You get pierced by the arrow. You're wounded. Okay. You can take the arrow out, but you're still wounded. Okay. You can stop sinning, but you're still wounded. And and so the when you're in this wounded condition, the uh, if it's narcissism, especially if it's homosexual narcissism, the best thing in the world for you is not to constantly be in front of a camera. That's right. You know what I mean? Because you're still you you still distorted. I did a book on uh, an ebook on Michael Voris, mm -hmm. another guy, a homosexual, living living a really decadent life. You know, it's not just oh, I happened once. No, he's into gay gay cruises, stuff like that. He he kicks the habit. Okay, that's great. God, there's rejoicing in heaven when you get rid of your sin, when you can repent, but you're still wounded. And if you're in this wounded condition, you probably shouldn't be a spokesman for the Catholic Church because your wound is distorting the way you see the world. And so you suddenly see this kind of obsession with homosexual behavior and other people and exposing that type of thing. And it distorts the message. And so I get it. So another guy comes to me. What should I do to be saved? I said, you should join the Catholic Church. <clears throat> he says to me, I'm not going to do that. It's full of faggots. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, because I watch Michael Voris. So you see the type of damage this type of uh, 
Oh, he's he's the church militant guy. Is that who you're talking about? Church militant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm Interesting. Church militant? Did somebody call him a faggot? I don't know. I don't know too much about him. I just saw no. He was. He was. He basically he He came out. He was living the a flagrant homosexual lifestyle, and he 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 covered it up. And so I got involved with the guy, thinking, oh, you know, and then suddenly, his past catches up with him. And then uh, they, he, he, he comes out and says, yeah, it's all true. I was that, but I'm not that anymore. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not that simple. You, you, you led me into this kind of under false pretenses. Now you're, you're telling me that you're saved or whatever words you want to use. And now you still want to go on. I, don't, I, don't, I feel betrayed, first of all, by the, I was led into this, this collaboration under false pretenses. But I don't think it's good for you either. And so I try. I actually tried to broker a deal with him and say, "Look, you've got all this expertise. Uh, why don't you just step back from being in front of the camera, and we'll try and carry on, and we'll do it that way." Well, no, he can't do that because this is a narcissist has to have the camera on him, right? Because right, that's yeah. oxygen. That's yeah. I can't. I don't have oxygen if I don't have everybody's attention. If it isn't all about me, and that's the problem. Mm. Otherwise, you can't breathe. Right. No oxygen. Can't <laughs> breathe. I feel I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, doctor, when did uh, this all happen where he came out and, and how long ago? Oh, it was about three years ago. It's, it's uh, you if you if you want to go to culturewars.com, there's a book. Uh, it was an ebook. Now it's a, it's a magazine format. It's called uh, The Man Behind the Curtain. You can type that in. You can buy a copy for four dollars and read the whole story in detail all about narcissism all about the the wisdom of the church fathers in terms of penance as opposed to simply saying you're sorry and so Amen. on and so forth mm. um okay so somebody's asking me in the chat florida kingoy he actually asked me this in a message before to ask you he said uh speaking of homos uh what does he think about owen benjamin blaspheming and calling the trinity gay nearly every day what do you think about that doctor how can I approve of that? That's that's awful. It's awful to do. I was I've been on Owen Benjamin's show. I went to see his his uh, concert here when he gave that in in uh, in uh, uh, town Hobart, you know, not far from here. Uh, you know, he's a, a very talented guy, a big, strong, handsome guy. You know, could have been a movie star. Uh, but I, I I don't know what happened. He's I mean, a, why he's are you a Jew. He's way? got Jewish heritage, right? Look, Jew, DNA doesn't make you talk. It, it, it has no control over your, your vocal cords, okay? This is, has nothing to do with any type of that type of thing. I don't know what it has to do with, but it may have to do with simply talking and talking and talking without- Talking too much. <laughs> talking too much, like three hours a day without doing any research or, I mean, I was, on, I was on the show. He had his mother on the show with me to talk about Logos Rising. Well, maybe you should read it. I mean, instead of just, yeah, having your mother talk about it. She liked the talk, book. Talk about your mom doing your homework for you. I mean, t- take your mother's <laughs> advice. She liked the book. Why don't you read the book and take a step back and stop making these outrageous, blasphemous, and ultimately stupid statements about the Trinity and about sacred things. Shouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Why, why don't you, uh, Fast Fist, why don't you ask, get into one of the discussions you wanted to get into? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So, no, I mean, like I said, in the beginning, we talked about uh, the Jews as a nation and uh, we were talking about assimilation. And I agree with all the points that uh, Dr. Jones brought up. Uh, I would just say that uh, if we consider Judea as another nation separate from America, then obviously um, it is up to the individual to uh, prove loyalty to America and not Judea. And I guess we could go on and on about how that's done. But um, no, I agree with everything uh, Dr. Jones said regarding that. Right. Um, we just had, we just had Jonathan Pollard uh, uh, get pardoned. If Sheldon Adelson sends his jet, Jonathan Pollard flies over to Israel, greeted at the on the tarmac by Benjamin Netanyahu, and then within a month he announces that yeah, sure Jews have dual loyalty. That's good. All Jews should be like me. They should betray their country. Well, uh, if I said that, they'd call me an anti-Semite, wouldn't they? This has right. constantly been, been the problem here. First of all, when we're talking about Jews, we are talking about a totally unique group in all of the world and all of human history. There is only one group who used to be God's chosen people, and that's the Jews. No, one, no other group is like that. So there are all kinds of uh, weird perturbations that go on there. And uh, I think that uh, basically we, they do have a dual loyalty problem. I think that, that is the problem here. And how are we going to deal with it? We have dual citizens in our Congress. That's the question. Yeah. Who's who? Where is your loyalty? I, I said I just went on press TV. I do the, the Iranians. I've been to Iran a number of times and they're talking to me about the JCPOA, the nuclear agreement. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, what do you think? What are the chances? I said, first of all, the only reason we don't have a JCPOA is because of three rich Jews, Sheldon Adelson, uh, Paul Singer and Bernard Marcus, who were big contributors to the Republican Party. And now the Democrats come in and they can't quite seem to go back to some, an agreement that was created by Democrats because now we have the Secretary of State, uh, another Jew. I said, look, if, if, if we only had people who represented the American people instead of the Israel lobby, we might be able to come to some type of agreement here. Right. So, uh, yeah. so, a so lot what's, what's the solution, though? What is, what's the answer to that? Conversion. Conversion. That's so, the only answer. The Jews are going to have to wait. It happens every day. You know, I know Jews who have done it, I'm, you know, all over the world. They wake up one day. Israel Shamir talked about it in his book. You know, he was in the uh, 1973 war. He's a soldier in the IDF. The artillery barrage starts and he suddenly realized, what am I doing here? It's big Jews moving little Jews around on a chessboard for their benefit and not my benefit. And he eventually converts to uh, Christianity. He's a Russian Orthodox now. It's happening. It's happening right now. It's the only solution. You have to wake up and realize that one day your destiny is Logos. That is what you are. What and your people what, killed the Logos. What, what do you do with the Jews that refuse to convert and refuse to assimilate to their host nations? Fine, fine. You put them in ghettos. They put themselves in ghettos. You don't have to put them in ghettos. I was there in in Iran, in Mashhad. The ghettos are in Beverly Hills and in the the you know the heightened. No, I know. I, 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 I love ghettos. I th they were called ethnic neighborhoods when I was growing up, and I think they're great places, you know. And I think the Jews naturally go into ghettos. But when I was in in Mashhad. There's Rabbi uh, David uh, Weiss there. He's in Netherite Carter. They think that uh, Zionism is an abomination. I said, if all Jews were like Rabbi David Weiss, we wouldn't have a problem. 
but the problem they, they are content to, to go back to the old shtetl they'll create the shtetl in brooklyn and they'll live there uh, all under themselves and maybe they have problems with the blacks because of their gouging their rent or something like that they're not perfect but it, it's it's a better solution than let's say what harvard harvard wait a minute they used to have a quota and now it's a jewish university how did that happen and not right. only that well, they not they're not content they have to take over your country and they have to make their values normative and they they want to make you feel like you're a bad person because you don't like sodomy or abortion no that that's that's not going to fly over the long haul hmm. so basically bring back sikut judeus non i think that's what i've been saying for years now so what is a sikut judeus non okay Thus, uh, it's a two-part thing. No one has the right to harm a Jew. The Jew has no right to subvert your culture. And I think that's a successful formula. Aren't we at a point, though, where the culture has been, at least in America, because America is a Jew's paradise, right? There's more Jews that live it's in America. Paradisus, paradisus Judeorum. It used to be Poland, now it's America. Yes, you're right. Yeah, And there's more Jews that live here than in every other place in the world combined. And... And so our culture is thoroughly Jewish. It's thoroughly anti-Logos. Yes. So what do yes. we do? Well, we have to take back our culture. Why do you think I wrote the book? Why, what do you want me to do? Wave a magic wand? I don't yeah. have a magic wand. All I can do is write books. And I'm trying to change. Look, the fact that, the, fact that I, uh, the ADL named me as one of 10 people who were a threat. I, I consider that one of the great that, achievements of my that's life. That's awesome, man. I'm so every, jealous. Every time, every time the Jew bans you, he's admitting that he's losing the battle. He's losing the battle for your mind. So look at it that way. This I should have been dead 10 years ago. I, t I not only touched the third rail, I was hugging the third rail <laughs> of American politics. And I'm still here to tell the story. And the second edition is coming out. And we are having a, one of the discussions that really has to, we have to have here. We have to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. And they like to blame me for violence. They're the people who are responsible for the violence because they're constantly suppressing any type of intelligent speech on the biggest issue of our day. And when you suppress speech, you're pushing people to become violent. It's that simple. Well, and they've dumbed every human being down with everything. It's just, I don't even know if people can have an intelligent conversation anymore. Well, so, re re regarding Sikus uh, Judeus Non, um, what would that look like in the context of modern nation states? Because the way I understand it is uh, the ones that refuse to assimilate with the rest of the nation, you would uh, revoke their citizenship essentially because they would be treated as a separate yes. nation of people, correct? Right. Right. So it, it yep. would be a, it would be a reintroduction of the Nuremberg race laws, which I'm quite educated on. And no, I no, wait, no, wait, no. That's completely different. This has nothing to do with race. <laughs> no, the whole I, I, Jewish thing it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with Jewish identity, which is the rejection of logos and the Jewish revolutionary spirit. You cannot hire revolutionaries, okay, to teach your children if you want to retain your children. You cannot do that. It doesn't make sense doesn't make sense the jews i know are you know they'll tell me frankly yeah I, I, we're not citizens we represent right. our interests we do not, I, I went to st louis okay back to st louis the big battle over the statue 
my friend, one of my contacts here, gets a call from his Jewish friend. This is terrible. My Jewish friend says, well, this lady rabbi, you know, whatever, I forget her name now. She's the one who's leading it. She's a witch. She Nobody pays any attention to her. No sure. Jew pays any attention to this lady. She's going on and on in this direction. So he tells me this. I said, you call that guy back, okay? And I want you to tell him this. I agree with you. What we need to do is make a public statement. We, as Christians and Jews, do not want this statue removed. We are citizens of St. Louis. We do not want this statue removed. He calls him back and says that. Well, guess what? He's not going to do it. Because he doesn't consider himself a citizen. We have, we have a, a, a distorted notion of what citizen is. It's basically anybody who's cannon fodder, or joins the army or pay taxes is a citizen. That's not what a citizen is. Right. Okay, a citizen is someone who has a stake in the culture, is going to work for the, perp the perpetuation of uh, the values that made this culture good and on in successive generations. You're not a revolutionary. If you're a revolutionary, you cannot be a citizen. Jews are by definition revolutionaries, and so therefore they cannot be citizens. Right. Uh, of so course, the, the, state, the state would determine who is a citizen and who is not, correct? Or would be the state's decision to make. No one else other than the state can make that decision. The state has to determine what is it. Yes, you're absolutely right. Correct. The, 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 this, whole, this whole thing started with Napoleon. When Napoleon emancipated the Jews, he said to the Jews, uh, uh, are you willing to die? Uh, are you willing to? Are you loyal to France? And the Jews said, "Jusqu'à la mort, uh, until death." Well, within by the time Napoleon's coming back from Jena, he stops in Strasbourg, and all the people in Strasbourg are complaining because the Jews are now exploiting the the uh, the Frenchmen because yeah. of their newfound citizenship. That's it's it's it it all go from there all the way up to Jonathan Pollard. And you see a consistent pattern here of basically failed citizenship. So, E. Michael Jones, who, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, who, who pardoned uh, Jonathan Pollard? Donald Trump. All right, and this is the biggest beef that uh, I hear from people with you is that you spent four years supporting, uh, in one way or another, Donald Trump. Is that is that true or... Uh, let, let me put it this way. Let me yeah. put it this way. Okay, Donald Trump shows up in South Bend, Indiana in 2016. And he gets the biggest crowd ever in South Bend, Indiana. Okay? And I said this when I wrote the article about this. I said, there, there are two things here. There are the people and there is Donald Trump. And the people are a wave, and Donald Trump is a surfer on this wave. Okay, so what we had was a massive protest against oligarchic rule. Yep. The people of South Bend, Indiana, woke up and said, we have two parties that represent the oligarchs and no party that represents the people of Indiana. This, this man seems to be representing our interests. We will vote for him. At the end, it was... The America first, he was channeling America first. Yeah, that makes sense. No wars, build up the manufacturing base. So that's the reason he got voted into office. As soon as he gets into office, America first becomes Israel first. I have criticized him consistently on this ever since he got into office. I, I, I don't call that support. Okay, so do you I believe, we, 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 so you do believe though that there's, that we actually had a choice, like 
like like these presidents are are selected and presidents actually even do something they're just not you know show you know puppets that uh trump that was bait and switch but what what i think what dr jones is saying if i might speak for him i'm not trying to do that but what dr jones is saying is that and i agree with this a thousand percent because i saw this coming even before i was waking up to these things is that trump rode the wave of anti-oligarchy anti uh uniparty sentiment and you know i think now it's it's very very obvious that trump was just he he was put forward by that same oligarchy to play a specific role and he just played that role all right i would i would state it slightly differently he he was not put forth by the oligarchy but he felt that he had to have the support of the jews so you got the Jews involved in both sides of the aisle here. They're supporting the Democrats. They're supporting the Republicans. And that was the fatal flaw. That was the Achilles heel of Donald Trump. He thought they would save him, and they didn't. The problem we have here is what I just said with the JCPOA. We have it's the Jews determining our foreign policy. Right. So we don't really have a, this is a this is a Jewish nation. We do not have a nation for non-Jews. Non-Jews in America are basically slaves. We are the goyim are second-class citizens. Absolutely. Okay, so here here's something that we talk about a lot on this show specifically when I have the fascist on is autocracy versus democracy. Uh, the the Bible, um, you know, it, it clearly states that the autocracy is the best form of government uh you know throughout the time kings ruled and uh you know we it, it, some i don't know who it is that Monarch, said this but monarchy. said that one you mean, you, yeah monarchy dictatorship whatever right, okay. it is as long as there's one person in control of that country normal uh most likely that person is going to have control over the finance it's going to be out of the hands of the jewish bankers which they can't control um what goes on and i'll take a you know a tyrannical uh king or um you know dictator or whatever rather than somebody like uh you know a group of jews that control the banking system and uh therefore control the politicians and control you know everything else the corporations right. and everything else within that country right the media I, I understand what i understand what you're saying it's not it's the form of government is not the crucial issue here okay so to, just, just to give this the context here uh i was scheduled to speak in france uh in september to the vendee the, the descendants of the Vendée, the Vendée was the Catholic counter-revolution that almost destroyed the French Revolution. Okay, and these are their descendants. And uh, so I, I couldn't go because they wouldn't let me on the plane because the, they claimed some COVID regulation or something or other. Uh, so uh, someone else gives my speech. And then uh, one of the descendants of the King of France sent a telegram or whatever, a message saying, uh, congratulating all of us for being there. So the French are that close to a king. And, and if, if, you, if you say, well, if you wanted to return to the king, I know his address. I have his email address. We can call him up. Well, that's never been the case in America. You simply can't impose that on a country that has the traditions are, in a sense, the antithesis of monarchy. This right. country was created as, as a rejection of monarchy. Right, but don't, do you and see that as I, a problem? 
everything is a problem. That we okay, so the problem is you you can go back to France, and what was the problem in France in the 19th century? Every single aristocrat was in debt to the Jews. They right. were aristocrats. There was the king. Every single king in European history, the main problem he has was debt, and the main problem with debt is you're always be, ending up being controlled by the Jews. The, the English aristocracy was obliterated over the course of the 19th century because they all went in debt to the Jews. So the monarchy is not going to save you in that regard. Well, in that, and well, I'm saying, don't, you, don't you think that in that case, that monarchy, those, those kings weren't in, com, in complete control of their nation? Sure, you're absolutely right. So have... why not go? What about King Louis the Ninth of France? He was a saint. Okay, it's possible to become a saint. No president, as far as I know, has ever become a saint. Okay, right. So he was a great example. France in the 13th century, Louis the Ninth, Thomas Aquinas, all of these people was a pinnacle of civilization. Great, you can do it that way. But the, you can do it other ways as well. You can have other forms of uh, government that can also function. The church is, doesn't baptize any form of government. It's different depending right. on the circumstances. Yeah, it yeah. should. So I think, I think that the main problem right now in America is that we don't have representative government. Right. That's the problem. Well, we I have do. we have big tech. Who makes the laws about uh, the Internet? It's not government. It's some private enterprise thing. And the fact, and so they they're immune to any type of criticism because hey, I own it. This this shows you just and to make another point. This is the bankruptcy of conservatism. Conservatism is a completely failed ideology Utterly. because it doesn't address private ownership tyranny. What about that? Right. Well, the bottom line this, is this, you're not, not going to have a non-Jewish nation if Jews control your currency and your your right. the the. And that's that's the bottom line. And that's what most wars have been fought over. That was the big beef with the horrendous Nazis in Germany, right? The first thing that they did when they came to power in 1933, they banned pornography and they nationalized the Reichsbank. Oh, no, you can't do that. You have yeah, the people, the nation state is ordained by God. And the, wherever the ruler is, if he's a king, if he's an elected president, his job is to represent the people of his nation. That's his job, and if you're constantly being if you're constantly being subverted by alien forces like the Jews, like Jewish bankers, you're not doing your job, and there's going to be trouble. I don't. So think, you have a, a. Go ahead. Sorry, I don't think the president of the United States ever had the chance to actually do something to uh, counter the Jews. I don't think they ha he has that kind of power. At any time a president has gone against the money power, they've been assassinated. The classic example is John F. Kennedy. Okay, John F. Kennedy was opposing the Dimona nuclear reactor. Okay, yep. uh, the most plausible and explanation for, I, I, I know you all feel it was a lone deranged gunman. I know you believe that. <laughs> but I think, I think yeah. it was Lyndon Johnson. And I think what happened when Lyndon Johnson became president wasn't Lyndon Johnson alone, but he was certainly the man who benefited because he was next in line and he was completely captured by the Jews. After that, you had the Liberty incident. You have one thing after another, which showed that uh, where his allegiance lay. Right. He had the mystery. He had the Jewish mistress, Mossad agent. Yeah. yeah. Matilda Krim, Matilda Krim, right. who got the, the, the Freedom Award from Bill Clinton. And damn it, she deserved it. Anybody who's willing to sleep with Lyndon Johnson deserves a medal. Wow. 
big time. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I got. Be- I, I'm getting. Uh, I need to get handsome truth on here because uh, he's got to leave. He's got to go in ten minutes. Doctor Michael Jones, are you familiar with Handsome Truth? No. All right. Handsome Truth and I actually started this platform that we're streaming on right now. Uh, been okay. You know, uh, we uh, he runs the the GDL. I look at him as the the leader of the GDL. Uh, going defense league and um you know he uh yeah he's been wanting to talk to you for a while i'm gonna get him on he runs this uh show he streams uh three four times a week and we're about to do a name the nose tour where we actually do activism and uh we drop banners we're gonna be doing it for two weeks in about two in three weeks from now we're gonna start uh in may may 1st doing it for two weeks so i wanted to bring him on and uh, he's got a couple of things to discuss. HT, here you are. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hey. Hi. Um, Dr. E. Michael Jones, pleasure talking with you. Uh, my dad and I both think uh, Goy's Guide to History is probably one of the most, um, uh, I don't know, most honest breakdown of the Jews and, you know, all the trouble they've gotten into of all the time going by. And I just want to say thank you for that piece of work. It's it's really thank one of my favorites. Thank um, you. Thank just, you for Snow, Snowshoe Films did that. It was their production. But, you know, thank thank them for doing it as well. So my my uh, my uncle is a UCLA graduate and um, he got Ed educated at UCLA. And um, I sent him that video because he's a history major. And you know what he said? What? That guitar part is really cheesy. <laughs> First of all, wait a minute. It's a, it's a mandolin, so that shows you how that's much your right. uncle knows. Yeah. Well, I said, that's all you get from it, huh, John? That's it? Really? The cheesy guitar out of all that history because the indoctrination is so strong. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I wanted, I, I'm kind of the guy that puts people a little bit on the hot seat, so – um, I want to just let you know there's some things that I love about you, and there's some things I just want to I just want to get straight with you, man to man. Okay. Then the first one is, do you believe in the Holocaust? I'm not going to answer this question. I'm not going to answer that? that question because I want to go. I, if I if I go on public, uh, I mm-hmm. can be arrested. I this, oh. uh, this is this oh. is Bishop. I don't Dr. know whether you know Williams, Bishop Williamson. Dr. Jones. I know who Bishop Williams is. Yes, yes. Bishop, Bishop Williamson was led into this trap. Okay? okay. They're doing a documentary. Swedish uh, Swedish film company doing a documentary. He told me this in person. I met with him. Wow. He said they all started, okay, interview's over. They're starting unpacking their, their equipment. You know, we're going. Well, and they said, well, what about the Holocaust? And he told them something, whatever he said. Spoke candy. And... Uh, he broke the law. Well, I'm are not going to do that. I'm not. You, I'm not going to answer, in America. Not answer that question. Oh, I thought you were. Are you not in the United States? He travels. No, I, am in the, I am in the United States. States, but he travels to Europe, and he doesn't oh, want to get. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Do, so do you want, do you want me to get arrested? Do you want me to get arrested when I go to Germany? I'm telling they you, they can right arrest now. you for comments you say in America and going Absolutely. and going into a different country. It's been done before. Absolutely. That is how it works. If you're in America. Let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on because right. I don't want you in jail. Okay. Right. Some hot seat questions. Roy Cohen. Are you familiar with Roy Cohen? Yes. Okay. That would be Trump's mentor. Yeah, I know. I know. Who, yeah. Uh, McCarthy's 
uh, Joe McCarthy's assistant. He was also like a, a kid toucher, a homosexual that died right, of AIDS, right? Yes, yes. Yep. And then Trump's dad also built synagogues for Jews, right? I, I if you say it, I'll, I'll accept. You know, I don't know for sure, but. And and Trump married his daughter off to a Jew, right? Right. And his sons are married to Jews as well. Okay. So I'm just wondering, with all that being said, and and, and we have this this guy Trump who uh, flew with the Jewish pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, right? Uh, if you say, I think so. Yeah, I've seen pictures of them together. Um, I'm just curious. So so when I hear all that, and I hear him. Um, you know, go to APAC and, you know, tell us all this stuff and, you know, uh, you know, grovel to the Jews. I'm just wondering, how did how did you like and, and the fact that you just you, you just pardoned Jonathan Pollard. And I know right. you talked about that earlier, but what I'm wondering is, has it kicked in to you that Trump is a race traitor? First of all, uh, I don't believe in race traitors. I don't I don't mm -hmm. I don't use the word race at all. I don't I think the word race is completely irrelevant to this discussion. But I'm trying to I tried to explain to you in that what I said just previously uh. how he represented something to people in America. And those people voted him for a reason and then when he got into office he was controlled by the Jews. And he so, America first became Israel first and I was disappointed. But I mean, it doesn't change the fact that a vote for Trump was a vote against oligarchic control. That's what it was. Right. I'm just wondering, like the, the same people that are like in his cabinet are the same people that write the Hollywood movies, right? Are you, who are you talking about now? Like, Steve he's talking about Steve Bannon. Steve no, Bannon is an interesting case. If you want to talk about that. I'm just saying the Jews write stories that pull on our heartstrings, right? What do you mean? Fiddler on the Roof? Schindler's List, like this is what they do, right? They know how yeah, they to control Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. Hollywood. So, so would you say that Hollywood, those Jews that control Hollywood, you don't think that there's some sort of um, script writing involved with politics? If, if you uh, ask me, if you're asking me that the Jews in Hollywood support Donald Trump, I'd say no. It was Likudnik. It was the Likudnik faction that supported Donald Trump. And that's not Hollywood Jews. They're left wing Jews. I mean, the, the tragedy of American politics is basically everybody's got to be uh, have the support of the Jews. They support both sides of the aisle. But if you're asking me if Hollywood supported Donald Trump, I'd say no, I don't think so. So two wings of the same bird. That's how I look at it. I, like I agree with you. I think they are. And so we could choose either Hollywood Jews or Likudnik Jews. That's basically the choice of American politics. So we, so what I'm wondering is, okay, you were talking about conversion, right? Yes. I personally, as a Christian, do not want people that uh, sacrifice children, that practice, that push abortion on child murdering, that, you know, they, they, they murder children and they suck the baby penises of children. I do not want those people around me. I don't think that it's healthy for a nation. And if 109 different nations expelled these Jews over 1,030 times, are we saying that these guys were wrong and we should keep Jews in our nation? No, I, what you're saying is uh, 
the Jews are sinners. Well, yeah, they are. And the point is that, that the church is here for sinners. So mm -hmm. if you're saying that uh, Jews, because they're sinners, they should not convert, I'm saying the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Because they're sinners, they should convert. And Jews can be accepted into the Catholic Church. I've already explained to you the caveat about that, this kind mm -hmm. of neo conversoism where a Jew converts to Catholicism and is denouncing fellow Catholics as anti-Semites. That's wrong. But in principle, the Jew is a rejecter of Logos. And if the Jew rejects the rejection of Logos, then we can accept him into the Catholic Church without reservation. That has always been the teaching of the Church. Pope after Pope has said that. Right. But should, should the state still still deny them citizenship if they do not assimilate? Because if they prove that they have no loyalty to America and they are still loyal to each other as the collective nation of Judea in the world, then should they be denied citizenship? Well, you know, what? Let's look at Jonathan Pollard. What do you? He just said exactly what we're talking about here. Should you allow people like Jonathan Pollard to be citizens? And Jonathan Pollard is saying every Jew. It should be normative. It should be mandatory that every Jew have his first loyalty to Israel and not to the state he lives in. And I'm a hero because I was a traitor. This, what do you think the presence of Benjamin Netanyahu on the tarmac said about tra traitors? He's, he's lauding, he's praising a man who was one of the biggest traitors in American history. Well, we have to draw conclusions from that about yeah. citizenship. We have to. Oh, yeah. So what I'm wondering, uh, are you familiar with Bobby Fischer, Dr. E. Michael yes. Jones? Yes. What, do you think he's a smart man? Yeah, of course. Obviously, he's a genius. Well, he, you know what he said his solution would be to? What? Genocide the Jews. Well, that's wrong. I, I've told you what my position. My position mm -hmm. is secret judeus non. That's mm -hmm. the Catholic position. It is a viable position. The genocidal position is wrong. You can't simply kill people because their behavior is bad or you don't like them or something. It's impossible. That is not my position. Okay. How about how about this though? How about this for for like a you know how they're vaccinating everyone right now? Yes. Okay. And you know how they how Jews uh, put uh, like birth control stimulants and the vaccines of the Ethiopian Jews. Right. Okay, so what if we did this with the Jews? This is my. This would be my. What what I would do? Okay, humanely, I would vaccinate the Jews to where they can't breed any longer. No, I look. This is Nazi types of eugenic solutions. Wait, Nazi. Nazi. I am completely, all right, let me say eugenics then. This is exactly the type of eugenic solution that the Protestants were proposing for Catholics and Negroes during the beginning of the 20th century. I am completely 100% against KKK. this. The only thing I am advocating is conversion. I the understand that. And has I, I, to re reject I'm the rejection of I, Logos. I'm not saying what I'm saying you have to agree with. It's a debate. So what I'm asking you is the word Nazi means simpleton that the, and Germans never refer to themselves as so. Why do you refer to them as Nazis when that's Jewish? Because the, one of the key principles of Nazi medicine was Leben unwertes Leben. Okay, life that is not worth living, and these people should be eliminated. That's wrong. That's no fine. There was no final solution ever written about. I said Jews I, I never said I never said a final solution about okay. Jews. I said Leben unvertus Leben was a Nazi medical principle, and it got applied to retarded people. It got applied to all different kinds of people. And now there's an irony: is we've got the the Jew 
uh, Emmanuel, the brother of Rahm Emanuel, mm -hmm. who is now going to be in charge of health uh, care in the United States or a part of that. And he's going to revert to the whole Nazi principle of Leben und Wertes Leben. Life is not worth living. I am completely against it. This is wrong. We should not be doing this. Whether a Jew is doing it or whether a Nazi is doing it, it's mm -hmm. wrong. Are, are you married? I am. Okay, so if someone, let's say hypothetically, you got to stop calling the Nazi thing slanderous. I just want to let you know that. that, that no, was, no that, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They were this never is, referred to is, as Nazis. <laughs> Nazi and all socialists and Nazi. Look, I speak German. I, I lived over there. I know what they were referred to as. I, it's, I'm not choosing this to demonize people. I am okay. using it as a historical description. Leben und Wertes Leben is a Nazi term. That's not uh, fabrication. That's not demonization. No, no, no. What I'm That's saying fact. Is, I'm saying they were never. Do you know who created the, the word Nazi? Do you know who created that? Who, who came up with that word Nazi? That was that was created by uh, uh, Conrad Haydn, a Marxist Jew, to ridicule National Socialists in Germany. So you're pretty much calling National Socialists simpleton or country, you know, no, uh, no, no. National Sozialisten. That was their word. You, comp you compress it to Nazi. Oh, okay, so Stasi, Staatssicherheit. Okay, you compress it. It's just standard German procedure. Uh, Jung Sozialisten, Jugend Sozialisten, Juso. It's standard procedure. It's not anything unusual. Okay, so this is what I want to ask you. This is one last thing. And I know this is a tough question to ask, right? But I find this as a weakness of, I'm a Christian guy, but I'm not a Christian doormat, okay? If someone were to come into my house, right? A Jew were to come into my house and have a voucher to rape my wife. I'm not going to try to convert him to Christianity. I'm going to defend my wife and my life at that point. And that's where we're at with these Jews vaccinating the world globally aborting children, practicing pedophilia legally in the United States with their matzah paz, okay, sending our military to go kill innocent Muslims, and we're sitting here supposed to turn the other cheek? Okay, what, what, you're, what you're saying here is it's similar to what happened at the end of the 19th century, okay, because basically the, the Jewish abuse of social trust had gotten so bad that there was violence. You could feel the violence building. And this is what Georg Ratzinger, the, the great uncle of the Pope, Pope uh, Benedict, wrote yeah. a book called Judicious Erwerbsleben. And he said, basically, if Christians do, if Christian leaders do not enforce laws that were created by Christian legislators to protect the Christian people, there's going to be a violent reaction and people are going to take this into their own hands. He said, all they need is a leader. Well, guess what the German word for leader is? Führer. Führer. And he was right. 50 years later, they got the violent reaction because the people did not take the Christian reaction seriously because the Christians were weak. They should have done it. You're no, in the no, same situation, no. and, and in many ways, a much worse situation now than back then. What about what about, what about Sabatian, the Sabatian Frankist, who said, you know, this is the problem that we have with that with your ideology with converting Jews, is that no matter what, they they always come back, and they always do the same thing. It's like when do we learn from this lesson? It's like 
that they they Sabatian the the Frankist the Sabatian Frankist or whatever he was uh he he had to conform to be a Muslim. No right? no no, no no I'm sorry you're confusing him with Shabbatai Zevi. Because I want to go back on a topic that you guys were talking about okay. before we move on to something else. Um, on the question of uh, Leben und unwertes Leben, I wanted to say that this idea, this philosophy that led to this, this was something that was already in the making long before National Socialism even came about. Um, right. And this idea, by the way, which was also prominent in the Weimar Republic and even before that in the Kaiserreich, um, the, the presence of it in the Third Reich was actually diminishing as the Third Reich approached its end. Uh, once the German people realized, uh, for example, what, what they were doing with something like the T4 program, which is, of course, the euthanasia of the uh, uh, severely ill, mentally ill often, um, th there was an outcry against it. And the outcry came from National Socialist Germans themselves. So the or, idea... Or uh, Bishop Graf von Galen. This is what set well, yeah. him off. Graf von Gollum was a German patriot, a, a massive figure in German history, stood up to Hitler. What, what set him off? It wasn't the invasion of Russia, because he thought it was a good idea to invade Russia because it was run by communists and Bolsheviks. Mm -hmm. It was the whole euthanasia program that set Graf von Gollum off and turned the Catholic Church against, against uh, the, the, the uh, Hitler regime. Right, and, and just I want to point out that it wasn't Adolf Hitler that was responsible for that policy. In fact, he was more than happy to get rid of it when the, when the outcry finally okay, came out. Okay, all right. But what my point here is that any type of medical practice that's based on the concept of Leben und Wertes Leben is wrong, and it has to be fought. And the fact that the brother of Rahm Emanuel is now going to be doing it under the Biden administration is another indication of just how wrong it is and how you can't just pin it on one group of people. The point here is, you're right. Adolf Hitler got his ideas of race from Madison Grant, an American, because there's no race in Germany. I'm sorry, it doesn't exist. You can only have racial consciousness when you have black people next to white people. He imported, Madison Grant used to show that letter he got from Adolf Hitler thanking him. He showed it to anybody who would show up because it was an American concept. And, and this is really important here. This, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because when it comes to the Rassenfrage, which is the racial question, again, it goes back to the term Rasse as it was understood by the Germans as being synonymous with nation, not in the modern yeah, es, market. Es gibt kein Wort Rasse auf Deutsch. Das Wort existiert nicht. Auf, they, they had the first time the word race was came in a German text, it was spelled R-A-C-E, and the Germans didn't know how to pronounce it because there's yeah. no C like that. And so they had to use the word Rasse, they, um, uh, they wrote it with two S's, okay? There's yeah. only one German word and it's Folk. And you Folk know. is the word for Ethnos. There is no racial consciousness there. It was a completely alien concept imported from America, imposed on the German people. And in my book, Ethnos Needs Logos, I, Hitler had to back away from it. Hitler backed away from the racial idea and went back to the idea of folk. Right. Because that's, that's a genuine concept. Absolutely. I'm glad you're educated on that and that uh, you're able to set that clear because a lot of uh, people, they misperceive the entire history of that. Um, they, they just seem to adopt modern notions of race, which you're correct. They come from America. They do not originate in Europe. No. That's why I say to these, like I said to Frody Mitjord, you know, he invites me. I said, Frody, when did you become white? 
You're a Norwegian. You're I a Lutheran. You're a I loser. Tom Sunich. Tom, you're a Croat. When did you become white? There are no black people. The opposite of a Croat is a Serb. It's got nothing to do with race. Yeah. I've got to head out. I'm going to let you guys go. Dr. E. Michael Jones, I want to say you. thank you for being, uh, for allowing me to, uh, you know, go back and forth with you. I meant it out of respect. Um, I just, I'm a guy who watches you and sometimes I love you and sometimes I'm like, where is he? You know, like, well, where is he going? But I, I, I appreciate you letting me have a little banter with you. Thank you. I thank you for allowing me to talk to. All right. God bless you, man. Peace. Bye. Bye, Steve. Bye, guys. Have See fun. Later, great, great show. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, so get, getting back to the 1935 uh, Nuremberg laws, I uh, just wanted to make uh, set the record straight. Um, it was, in fact, a distinction made between one ethnos of people and another. And the proof of this is in, is in the fact that even after these laws were passed, there were many Germans of partial Jewish heritage or even full Jewish heritage that were, in fact, Christians and loyal to Germany and had proven their loyalty to Germany that were recognized as fully fledged German citizens despite their Jewish heritage. A clear example of this would be Emmanuel Maurice, who was, I believe, half Jewish, but he was a Christian and he had proven his loyalty to Germany and therefore was a fully fledged German citizen and German national. So this proves that the Nuremberg race laws were not uh, in, the, in, the, in the way that we understand race today, which again is an American Marxist concept it's not the European national idea whatsoever. No, it's not. And it's, it's not going to work in Europe. It's incompatible. It doesn't make any sense. And again, it sounds like it's, it was really about loyalty to the nation. Well, right. the, what, the point here is, the point, let's get back to the, the issue. Is there, just, is, that's why the motto of the Germans is, meine Ehre heißt Treue, which means my honor is my loyalty. Right. Well, I get, you got to admit the point, that it was a lot more the the ethnicity was a lot more homogenous at that point in Europe. Now it's a total it's a total mess, and uh, it's it was done that way on purpose. Um, and you know you could tell that it's we've come so right, far away. It's mainly because of the destruction of culture and religion. That's the reason why. Yes, absolutely. That was the Jews' yep. plan from the beginning, from 1776, I believe. That's what we talk about all the time. Sorry, doctor. That, that's, an, that's an interesting uh, uh, topic to get into next uh, regarding the uh, the foundational principles that America or the American Republic was uh, built on because the entire philosophic foundation that America was built on was in direct opposition to the old European order. Maybe we can get into that a bit. I think that would be an interesting topic to cover, uh, specifically the term Americanism. I'd like to uh, talk because in the Catholic Church, if I'm not mistaken, there was a pope that decreed Americanism to be a heresy. And heresy is something that's used against religious doctrine. So Americanism might be talking about America as a religious identity rather than a national identity or an ethnic identity. Right. Yeah, there's a professor from Yale, some Jewish professor, and he said, Americanism, the world's fourth great religion. America, the world's fourth great religion. That He's obviously talking about that topic. If you're talking about American Catholics, uh, Pope Leo XIII condemned Americanism uh, in his encyclical Testum Benevolentiae, uh, where, because there were 
look, it's immigrants coming over. My, my, I'm half Irish and half German. And when, especially when the Irish came over, they, they felt inferior, you know? And so you want to, you want to move up the ladder. You know, you don't want to be a, a live in this ghetto. My, my great aunts worked as maids uh, in the houses of the rich wasp Protestants in Chestnut Hill and Bryn Mawr, places like that. So you want to move up. You want your children to be better. And so you decide you're going to go along. Well, how far are you going to go along? Are you going to start saying that the church is incompatible uh, with American democracy and therefore we should make the church into a democracy? Well, that's where Pope Leo XIII drew the line. That has been the Achilles heel of the Catholic Church in America to this day. To this day. You've got uh, the Jesuits now, uh, America Magazine. They're total dedication to the oligarch agenda. Total dedication. Whether it's vaccines, whether it's usury, whether it's sodomy, total dedication. They've completely sold out their Catholic faith. And why is that? Well, because of America. That was the that was the crucial transitional moment. And now you've got a Jesuit who's Pope, who's being led around by these Jesuits. And he, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. But it's Americanism. That's the problem here. Problem is, with the Catholic Church. Is it true that he's pushing the vaccine, too? On, yeah, I, think he, yeah, I think you could say that. I think you could make that claim. I think it's a horrendous mistake. First of all, it's not a vaccine. And that's, this is the right, problem. Right, right. I, call, I, I called it a historical Thomism, basically, where the, the theologian takes this concept from the platonic realm of ideas and says, vaccine. Well, that's not what it is. Right. You're using that word. It's a totally experimental drug that modifies your RNA. Why is that a vaccine? Shouldn't even talk about that way. But if you take that as your premise, you're going to end up with a certain conclusion. You shouldn't put it in the premise. Yeah, it's like gene, gene therapy, I guess, is the correct uh, terminology. I think that's. I think that would be a better. And so, do we have a moral obligation to engage in gene therapy? I don't even do think we have it a moral obligation. <laughs> do we have a moral obligation to endanger our health because of some type of experimental uh, uh, form of psychological warfare is being imposed on us? No, I don't think so. Dr. Jones, uh, have you ever read the book called uh, America und der Amerikanismus? It was Nein. written in 1927. This, this, <laughs> this would be a book recommendation I would give you. Uh, it was written by a person named Eugene Diedrich. Oh, sorry. Now, that's not the author. That's the publication. Um, Adolf, Adolf Halfeld is the author. And uh, this is what the front cover says. It's supposed to be the counterpart to Henry Ford's uh, The International Jew. And it says, this book written by a German in America speaks about the redeeming word. The European, especially the German culture, which is bound by tradition, is threatened with destruction by America, which is founded upon materialism and, me and machinations of life. Rationalization, according to the American model, is the trump card, regardless of whether it kills the human soul in the human being. The book is the result of years of expert knowledge of the economic conditions and the mentality of the American people. Whoever reads this book shall become immune to those who preach Americanism. And I think this book is actually very helpful because this was written in 1927. So this is uh, during the Weimar Republic. And this is, again, a German that's visiting America and he's comparing what he's seeing in America 
with what he's seeing in the Weimar Republic, because he clearly sees that the Weimar Republic is heavily influenced by Jewish America. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, it sounds like a good book. It sounds like the type of critique that uh, existed before World War II and doesn't exist anymore because of the, so, the ruthless social engineering of the German people, which I cover in detail in Logos Rising. There's a chapter there on Werner Heisenberg and Jewish science, which goes into the whole ruthless sexual corruption uh, demoralization of Germany after World War II. Yeah. Heaven help us all. Yeah. And the whole world. I mean, World War II was the triumph of the Jew over the world. It was, it was supposed to happen uh, in World War I. Uh, world War II was uh, one last try to just resist. And uh, World, world War II was the extension of World War I. If you want to talk about World War I was uh, incited by Winston Churchill uh, because Germany had surpassed England in all areas of economic production because they rewarded labor more so than the English did. Uh, the Germ the English realized they were losing on the uh, war in terms of uh, control of the mind, uh, especially in economics. And so uh, Winston Churchill lured the Germans into a war. Uh, Winston Churchill was a pawn of the Jews. Yep. His father died 80,000 pounds in debt to Natty Rothschild. Uh, the Jews forgave that debt, but they got captured Winston as a result. He always represented Jewish interests. Yes, he did. Yeah, he was a pawn of a little group called the Focus Group. Uh, I think they were the ones that were basically pulling his strings. That's why he was a drunkard, too, because he knew that. He had, had many flaws, uh, but uh, one, of the, one of the most severe was a, an inability to stay out of debt. And so at crucial moments, uh, the Jews would bail him out. Lord Strakosh, David Irving pointed this out in one of his books. Yeah. I mean, you could argue the UK has been totally under control of Jews probably since the founding of the Bank of England, 1694. Well, Barbara Tuchman wrote a book called The Bible and the Sword about British, um, what's say, Judeophilia, philo-philo-Semitism. She traced it to uh, the Wycliffe translation of the Bible. I think the crucial moment came in the beginning of the 19th century when uh, the Rothschild family set up Nathan in London. And Nathan bet on the pound, on the console, uh, and had advanced information that Napoleon had lost. He made a killing. The British were so jubilant that they all wanted to build palatial country houses, and they all borrowed money from the Jews to build the houses, and they all end up losing their, uh, their ancestral country homes over the course of the 19th century. That's a much more plausible explanation, as far as I'm concerned. It explains Winston Churchill as well. Yeah. All right, so I got one last question on my part. I don't know about you guys, but one last question. Uh, Russia and Putin and um, the whole, uh, you know, what do they call that, Eurasianism and um, them promoting uh, degeneracy and pedophilia in their enemies countries like Ukraine and uh, other countries that border them um, and but not in their own countries um, and then calling you know themselves uh, uh, orthodox you know uh, an orthodox Christian nation I guess uh, to, is, correct me if I'm wrong but um, 
that's what they kind of like identify as, but they're doing the, they're promoting these things in uh, other countries. Do you not see them as an, as an enemy um, to the United States and, and no. a threat to like move over to this, uh, like a different kind of um, oh, we, world order and, and with Russia, Israel and China being at the head? No, uh, preposterous. No, we we are we are a threat to Russia. That, Absolutely, uh, ang Anglo Anglo uh, American culture is based on the Mackinder thesis, which is basically that uh, the island nations, England and America, have to break up any alliances on the Eurasian landmass. That's the that's the cornerstone of American policy. That's what led to World War One, when it looked as if Germany might make an alliance with Russia. England had to intervene and start a war. That is the keystone. That's the fundamental principle we have to understand. Uh, England, America is Leviathan, the sea monster, and the sea monster could go anywhere in the world and attack you. The Japanese version of the sea monster is Godzilla. They made a movie out of it. The Godzilla is basically uh, the American Navy destroying Japan. That is the fundamental problem. And when you have something like that, you have a defensive reaction. And the defensive reaction in our day is basically the Eurasian landmass uniting to f ward off the Anglo-American threat. So you, the, what, the, what people like, every, every president has done it. It's the same thing. But Donald Trump especially, by his persecution of Iran, uh, by his intemperate actions in China, united the Eurasian landmass. That's a problem. That's a problem for the United States empire. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. And if you're trying to demonize Russia, there's one group in the world that wants to demonize Russia, and that's the Jews. And the Jews were behind the Bolshevik revolution. That was the Jewish takeover of Russia, and the Russian people suffered, and the Russian people have repudiated it. Russia is now a Christian country, and I just simply am not going to engage. I don't see any reason to demonize them for being that. So you don't think Jews control Russia at all right now? Let me put it this way. They, the whole point of Boris Yeltsin was to stay drunk long enough to let Jeffrey Sachs and the Jewish oligarchs loot Russia. Yep. And what happened is the creation of eight oligarchs, eight Jewish oligarchs that did basically that. And Putin comes to power knowing that. And he's got to break their power, but he's a politician. And so it's never going to be this kind of complete break. It's kind of like a half-hearted thing. If you don't, uh, if you go along, I'll let you be a Jewish oligarch. And that's sort of the mixed situation. It's an unsatisfactory situation, but that's what it is. So you think and, the things uh, that he has to compromise on is things like, uh, you know, anti-nationalism, um, you know, locking up nationalists, and then also uh, like Holocaust denial laws and things like that. I think he compromises on certain things. Yeah. I think that the, the crucial the crucial issue is going to be now the Ukraine. Are they going to allow those Russian nationals living in the eastern part of the Ukraine in the Donbass? Are they going to allow them to be persecuted? It's a situation very similar to the one that Hitler found himself in after uh, after Poland. World War One. Yeah. So in, in summary, what you're saying is that America is uh, carrying on the uh, old British Empire uh, policy of uh, balance of powers. 
and uh, controlling the sea lanes. Right. Controlling the sea lanes is the is their uh, recipe for world power. If if there's a railroad that goes from Shanghai to Rotterdam, you've just negated the necessity of the sea lanes. That's the big problem. This is precisely why uh, the uh, now the Biden administration is trying to block. Nord Stream 2, which is going to be a gas pipeline uniting Russia and Germany. What do they want? They want liquefied gas being delivered by ships because they control the sea lanes, and that makes Germany completely dependent on the American Navy. The, 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 the same thing happened in World War One with the Kaiserreich because the Kaiserreich wanted to build uh, the, uh, a railway to Baghdad. And Britain had a huge issue with that. That was actually one of the prime motivators to destroy Germany. Um, it wasn't, uh, a lot of people say, oh, it was, it was to create Israel. And, uh, you know, that was the sole reason. It was all about Zionism, all about, it's actually not true. It was also because Germany was genuinely becoming a threat to the British Empire with the, uh, with the Baghdad Railway. Right. And that was, in a sense, a, uniting the Eurasian landmass. Right. If you have a, a railroad from Berlin to Baghdad, that's uniting that landmass. And that's a threat to English hegemony over the waves. And it's not, it's Jewish because the Rothschilds owned England, as you pointed out. Uh, that's right. That's after, right. After Napoleon. And they, they, were, they wanted a war. And it, it's, you, can't, you can't understand politics without the, uh, talking about Jewish influence. I mean, Hitler did say it was a conspiracy of Juden und nicht Juden, so they were obviously non-Jews involved as well. <laughs> you, there's never been a movement that did not have, uh, there's never been a Jewish movement that did not have non-Jews involved. And Bolshevism is the classic, uh, classic example. You don't have to have 100% Jewish participation in order to have a Jewish movement. Neoconservatism, another example. Yeah. Freemasonry. Any, and there are any number of uh, yeah. examples we could come up with. Yeah. Harvard University. Uh, mm. What's your thoughts on uh, what's the guy's the or, the, the Orthodox uh, Christian brother Nathaniel? Yeah, brother, brother Nathaniel. Nathaniel. What's your thoughts? Brother, brother Nathaniel. Brother Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a man without guile. That's what Jesus said of Nathaniel. Good answer. He's a, he's a true a true Israelite. He's a man without guile. Good answer, Doctor Jones. All right. So like my that. my question, you know, I got one one more question. I actually you forgot keep about. saying you got one more question. Oh, we'll have <laughs> hundreds of questions as long as you're willing to entertain them. So I heard you say uh, at the beginning of the show, um, the Jews are God's chosen were. God's chosen people. Now, do you think that, do you believe that they were, uh, the chosen people of God were the ethnic Ashkenazis that call themselves no, Jews no, they're today? No, they're not, they're not Hebrews. No, they're not Semites. Ashkenazis are a Turkic race. They proved this in the Genome Project that they're not, that they have no connection with the Semites. When I said, no, let me put it this way. The Jews are the God's chosen people. That has never been revoked. But the point here is that we no longer believe in a chosen people. Right. Once once the Catholic Church is established, the Catholic, the, the Christians are now the children of Moses. There is no such thing anymore as a, a, a sacred ethnic group. That idea has completely vanished from history. It's been replaced by the church, which includes all people who accept Jesus Christ through baptism. Amen. 
Yeah. So you be, you base you believe that the spirit of the Jew was there during at Judea during the time of Christ. Those were the ones that uh, that persecuted him, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, and even those the Jews. Are, the Jews killed Christ. The, re the Jewish revolutionary what, spirit. Wait, wrote a book it, about it. They chose Jewish Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. You had a choice here. This is the Jewish people did this. What do I mean by the Jew? Does that mean every Jew in Jerusalem did it? No. Did the Blessed Mother yell crucify him? No. Was she Jewish? Yes. Okay. I'm talking about the Jewish people is a political entity that is mobilized for political effects. And they cried crucifies him. They killed Jesus Christ and they chose Barabbas in his place. And because of that, their identity became the Jewish revolutionary spirit. That's what we're talking about at the turning point in human history. Right. And, to, and through, a, through a democracy, right? A democracy crucified Jesus Christ, a Jewish democracy? No, it was a theocracy. <laughs> it was a theocracy? Right. Well, when Pilate asked the crowd, who would you like me to release? And the, the, the majority they voted. They cast the ballot. They voted. It's, it's, our, it's our backhanded slap to democracy. That's one, <laughs> one thing that we do here. <laughs> <laughs> We like to bash democracy, Dr. Jones. Yeah, I understand. I, I got that impression. About we're not fans. 45 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> oh, uh, did you want to get into the marriage discussion, uh, Fast Fist, or did you want to ask him that? Uh, I don't know how much time Dr. Jones is willing Listen, to still. We've been, we're, we've been going on, we're going closing in on two hours. Yeah. Usually, yeah. usually after one hour, I start hallucinating and well, saying. Well, thank you absolutely ridiculous shit that i always regret <laughs> well so uh, i think it's better if we cut this off i don't if you keep me on any longer i'm going to say something i'll be sorry i ever said so no 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 that's fine let's Thank quit you while for we're ahead i think we had a i think we had a great discussion uh, this has been wonderful no hope hard you know uh i'm grateful that we had this opportunity me too I, and I would, I, thanks for too. giving it to us wow. one more dr jones would you be willing to come back on at a future time Yes, yes, I'd be happy to. Well, thank, love you. thank you so much. Wow. My pleasure, gentlemen. It was a great discussion. Thank you for having me. Thank you, uh, thank you. Dr. Sure, Michael you know, Jones. Appreciate God bless it. you. Godspeed with your work. We love you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Peace.